Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. It's great to be in church today, isn't it? Better than mowing the lawn. Come on, bit of encouragement. Yeah? Who'd rather we weren't mowing the lawn? Come on now. Oh, yeah, there are some good, studious landscapers amongst us. That's cool. Uh, as for me, I think uh, flat out on the bed is an option. All right? Anybody with me on that one? Yeah. Dressing gown, back to online church, or present with the believers in the house of God. Called to be priests. Oh, that got your attention. <laughs> okay, unmistakable priesthood. Obviously, that's about you and me, but um, let's find out what the scriptures have to say. If you have your Bible, one, uh, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to launch from verse 4 of chapter 2. So uh, let's put it up there. And we start the. Um, the little subheading in the NIV says the living stone and the chosen people. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by people but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. However, to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey. What do they disobey? Well, the message, we heard about that last week, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. You've entered into a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And once you were not a people, there was a time when you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. They wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. For about 30-odd years, I'd never left this country. And uh, then there was a, an opportunity to go to India. You had to go and get a passport. And so I, off I went for a month, uh, India and Singapore, with um, Youth for Christ back in the day. And since then, that kind of lit a fuse because a number of years after that, I did a lot of travel internally in Australia in mission, particularly to far north Queensland from the Brisbane base that I was living. And uh, I just felt, oh, love to be able to go overseas, 
opportunity came for me to go to Israel. So I went. And there was a tag-on trip to Egypt. So I, uh, I went. There was an opportunity later to go to Greece and Turkey. Turkey's amazing, the seven churches, Asia Minor. There's a common ingredient in all the travel that I've had the blessing of being able to do. And that is structures, buildings. When it comes to churches, especially in Europe, generally speaking, it's connected to what locals will call a cathedral or a basilica. And they're landmarks. Uh, if you talk to a local, oh, down to the basilica and you turn right. Substantial buildings dominates the landscape, dominates the culture. And if you ask a European to name the top five things about religion, you're going to find either or both of those words in their list. But also, you'll probably have priests and nuns. Because when it comes to religion, that's the identity, particularly in Europe. In orthodoxy, all around the world, nuns, priests, priests dominate religion. Good Catholic families will say that there's no greater calling in life than the call to be a priest. My dad actually said to me not long ago that he never thought that I would become a priest. It's kind of funny. I thought that was a pretty funny thing for him to say. I'm actually not sure what he meant by that except to say he knew me growing up, right? But as I reflected on it, he was brought up Catholic and he was saved into Christianity later in his life. Now, I've known a whole bunch of Christian Catholics, but a lot of Catholics are caught up in the priesthood or the religion of Catholicism and Jesus is not really their main core thinking. But he was brought up in this context. So his Catholic origins are probably pretty important to him now in his 90s when he's losing his memory. So when he thinks of his son being a pastor, priest comes to mind. So when he thinks about me, he thinks about priest. Now I've got to tell you, he is so right about that. More right than I care to believe. I'll explain a bit more about that as we go. I can remember when I displayed interest in going to Bible college at 19 that my mum and grandmother said to me that they'd prayed for that their whole life. That was, that was a blessing. I didn't actually enter Bible college until 12 years after that. But I knew from an early age that my mum's prayer was that I would serve the Lord. And the whole idea in my father's understanding growing up in the inner west of Brisbane in Indrapilly was that priests and nuns were the top of the food chain, absolutely important in his life and culture because they were the principals, the teachers, the Sunday church leaders, they were the authority, the main source of life and practice for him. And it was the, that was the world that he grew up in. 
lived opposite a convent and attended there for school. Very, very different for me because in the culture and life that I grew up in, I looked up pastors, church leaders, mentors, boys brigade leaders, youth group leaders, uh, CE, many of you can conform. In Catholicism, religious workers have historically had great respect and clergy, clergy generally in our world were respected. Times have changed. They were seen and are throughout much of our world set apart for holy work. That's the culture of priesthood. And so therefore, they were expected to keep themselves pure, free from distraction of people's messy lives. And if, if you kind of study church history and you delve back into a period of time that's a bit distant for us now, uh, priests and monks pulled away from general society in order to be pure. Interesting. And it was a life of sacrifice and surrender of all that you have and all that you are to God. So I want to see how those life patterns and experiences interact with the scriptural mandate. I believe it's interesting as we study scripture that God's original plan for his chosen people, the Israelites, was that they would be a nation of priests. If you go back to even the Abrahamic understanding of uh, culture, and I hate using the word religion, I don't believe in it, uh, but spiritual society was for his chosen people to be a priesthood that would shine a light of God upon all nations. They were to be a nation of priests. Israel was to point people to God, a holy nation of priests. So come with me to Exodus 19. Just a couple of verses here. They were a nation set apart by God, called to be a holy people, a nation or a kingdom of priests who would point the rest of the world towards God. Isn't that a beautiful scene? That Israel would point the world to God. But they lost that vision. They lost it and it didn't happen. Instead, God provided Levitical priests to serve God and the nation. That hit me this week, that God had to develop a plan for a priesthood because the people weren't up for it. I'm like, wow, I never thought of the Levitical system in that light before. I thought of it in terms of God's unfolding plan and showing his law and giving context and giving order 
but I never actually saw it as this has to happen because they didn't do it. The Levites, in fact, became a, the set-apart priests. They became the whole ones uh, that were responsible for sacrifices. And there'll be a lot of different opinions throughout the room today and online as to how they went about that, okay? But that was the Levitical process and system. They taught the law, they spoke for God, they called people to worship, and the average person did not have this sense of calling upon their lives and the priesthood stepped in. Now, if we advance to the post-resurrection church age, God announces the new chosen people made up of Jew and Gentile, essential, um, essentially everybody upon the planet has the opportunity to know God through Jesus, post-resurrection age. The word of God is prophesied of this age, saying our sons and daughters would prophesy, they would speak God's word to one another. It's a radical change. And you think about it in context of church history, radical uh, new society or new generational thinking as to how God would have his message, his relevance, his personhood displayed throughout the world. It's a radical change and we're not going back. We're not going back to Levitical law because God's not going back from resurrection. We are in a post-resurrection age and that is so, so good. Think about it. So, so good. Where before a few were gifted for ministry, now the whole body of Christ is gifted for ministry. Where before there were priests and Levites, now we have a priesthood of all believers. And I don't need to remind you that one of the Baptist distinctives, now I can stand here and be really honest and say, I'm not very Baptistic, right? I'm better at being a Christian than I am at being a Baptist. But if you know what Baptists believe, this is a distinctive. This is one of our high pillars, if you like, that every single person is equal, not in equal in opportunity, equal in status in God's kingdom, a priesthood of all believers. Isn't that cool? How good's that? So you don't study for seven years and, you know, have somebody lay hands on you and say, you are now ordained and get further up the chain. No. No, because Bible says, we've read it, priesthood of all believers. Nobody better or higher than another. Say praise God, praise God. Isn't that beautiful? And the truth will set you free. Over the centuries, the church slipped back into its clergy mentality. In orthodoxy right throughout the world, 
there is clergy mentality. If you need to know what the Bible says, you go and ask the priest. It's true, isn't it? Right? So we've slipped back. And we created again a professional holy people. And we see that right across the world. I, I'm a people watcher. And so when I am overseas and I'm at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and just outside it, there's an Egyptian Orthodox uh, entry into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where uh, they believe, you know, there's the rock that um, there was a cross set apart up and that's where Jesus died. Most evangelicals don't believe that, but the orthodoxy does. And the Ethiopian priesthood manned that 24-7. They manned their entry because it's theirs, it was declared theirs by other clergy and there's an agreement and it's theirs, right? And they protect it and nobody has a right unless they provide the right. Where's that in the scriptures? Post-resurrection age. You can't go into certain places within these basilicas and cathedrals unless a priest gives you permission to do so. Plenty of that in the Old Testament. This much, this much in the New Testament, right? So we've slipped back and we've allowed culture and preference and hierarchy to destroy God's freedom for the priesthood of all believers. Do you agree with me? Do you see that in our world? Do not conform to that thinking because it is unbiblical. And God has given you the rights to the kingdom through Jesus. Praise God. Say it with me again. Praise God. The truth will set you free. In 1 Peter and 2.9, let's read it again so we have no confusion, none. But you are a chosen people. What kind of a priesthood? Royal. In the presence of the king. In the direct and holy presence of King Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Like, let that truth ooze into your spirit. Let that cover you with confidence and peace. Let that be a restoration to your soul. A royal priesthood. Oh, dear. You can't read it all without, you know, the temptation is to leave this next bit out. What does it say? Holy nation. What was God's desire for the Israelites? Be a holy nation. To show God to the rest of the world. So what is the principal requirement upon the church who are a priesthood of all believers and a royal priesthood at that is to be a holy nation. Wow, I've enjoyed the couple of messages so far in this series, unmistakable. And I loved Will Crank being able to stand up here in confidence and explain to us what it was to be holy and set apart. Do you remember it, some of you? 
Wow. <laughs> what a challenge though, right? Because essentially we're Jesus with skin on with the responsibility to be Jesus with skin on. To be a holy nation. And we can't step apart from it because it's a calling into kingdom living. God's special possession. And God has made us a royal priesthood of believers for a special purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, I think that's distinctive. Once we weren't. Before we were saved, we weren't. And we couldn't be, right? But once you are a Christian, once you are saved, once you acknowledge sin in your life and you accept that Jesus did go to the cross, did get resurrected, is alive, and you ask for forgiveness. Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. He will never not forgive you. And the truth of that is that once you get to a point of acknowledging your sin and asking for forgiveness, God's Holy Spirit will refresh, renew and make you new. And you are alive forevermore. There's never a time that you can enter the grave because your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Isn't that precious? And someone shared with me today, uh, just a little bit earlier, shared with a few of us, that they went to a, a Christian funeral this week and it was a place of blessing and joy because the truth proclaimed is absent from the body, present with the Lord. Never going to experience death. Your body goes into decay, but who cares, right? Look at mine. <laughs> who cares? But your spirit never dies. Holy priesthood. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's something I want you to go away with. You are called to be a priest. When God refreshes us, renews us, gives us new life, when you become a Christian, you, you get this calling, right? To be a holy nation, set apart for the glory of God. I think it's important, particularly for the blokes, the males in the room, to kind of get your uh, posture sorted, sit up, take notice of this. Totally true that this text is for all. But, you know, ladies, bear with me. The blokes really need to get this. It's life-changing. Because um, one of the priests among you, me, one of the priests among you, because everyone who's a believer is a priest, one of the priests among you has a purpose and a desire to say to you that this is life-changing stuff. I'm asking you to begin to view your life in a totally new radical way, to believe that it's critical that we are as a church, and especially the blokes, especially the men, 
begin to view our lives differently and begin to see ourselves not just as Christians, not just as saved believers, because I think when you are a saved believer, you will say things like, I know Jesus. I believe in his death and resurrection. I believe that he has saved me. I believe that we are all children of God and that's life-changing. I'm not stepping away from that. That is absolutely amazing. But what I want to say is being a Christian can mean a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people and we just fit into society. We just kind of fit in to whatever becomes normal. That's not what this is about. This is about the cleansing that sets us apart from what we might say is normal. And it's a set apartness with the Spirit of God living within us that enables us to stand aside from the radical, absolute overflow of secularism and ungodliness that floods our society. And so we become believers who just jump into the rapid and let it all happen. Here's my point. When we view ourselves as Christians, we say, I believe in Jesus. I've trusted in him to save my life. I know I'm saved and I go to church and I do the stuff. And we tend to view ourselves from the perspective of even our identity in what we do. Some of us are teachers, medical, military, some mechanical. Uh, if I address the blokes, some may say I'm an electrician or another might say I'm a teacher. Some may say first and foremost that I'm a dad and a husband. And all of those descriptions are amazing and good. But they refer mostly to our duties and our skills, our life skills. And here's the potentially life-changing bit. I want to challenge us all this morning to begin to think differently about ourselves, to start knowing that you are a priest. Did you get that? You know, you should... I don't think this will ever happen, but because it wouldn't happen for me. Wake up in the morning, priest has awoken. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Please don't do it, maybe. <laughs> Could eradicate some nightmares, but um, Harry has woken up. And that's all you need to know. Yeah? I'm awake. And because I'm awake, the priest has awoken. You get that? Because you are in Christ and no one can strip that away from you. If you're a believer here today, you are in Christ. However, the world's idea of the value of a priest is very different because the scriptural truth is that being a priest is a calling from God. You don't choose the job. God gave it to you. You're a chosen people. 
God says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You are a royal priesthood. We've been given the assignment of serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords and it is the highest calling that you can ever get. That's the first one. You're a holy nation, part of a holy nation. Purpose and duty is a calling from God. It's different and it's a holy service. You may have heard the language used in church, sanctified or holy. Uh, Will did explain that a little bit. But they're Bible terms that basically mean that we're set apart for special service. It's a holy service that we're called into. To be a holy nation, a holy gathered people. And viewing myself as sanctified, that's going to change the way I choose to live. In essence, the knowledge of who you are in Christ should change the choices that you make every day. Whom you serve, the knowledge of whom you serve should motivate you for how you choose to live. That's true, isn't it? I know that I am called to serve the Lord and that actually distinctively motivates me for the choices that I make every single day. A priest is a priest 24-7. I've got a really good Anglican mate. I haven't spoken to him for a little while, circumstances, but he's a really good mate. We used to spend some fairly... How he became a good mate is we spent some fairly intense time in a renewal retreat group. Now, to explain that, it's not a Baptist thing, but it's a collective. Uh, people who want to survive well in ministry kind of come together and, uh, and they do life together and they tell this story even to the, some uh, gritty details that maybe they wouldn't tell the people in their church but they'll tell a fellow uh, a priest or a, a fellow pastor. And so my mate, the Anglican priest, says, and this is in the context of uh, we've been doing life together for a little bit, we've told each other our stories there's five other people in the room that have also told their stories. It's fairly intense. It's a very spiritual context. We're in the middle of probably an hour and a half or two hours of a Bible study that looks at who we are in Christ, right? That's the context. And simple thing. He simply said, in a very loving but very captivating way, I go home at night, I take off my collar I'm still a priest. Did you hear that? The guy is an Anglican priest, right? I go home at night, I take off my collar, I'm still a priest. Wow. Because the truth of that just echoed all around the room that day. Yeah, I don't come to church in the morning with a collar on, right? You don't expect that, I don't want that. That doesn't happen. But many of our churches here in Townsville and throughout Australia and obviously the world, there are people standing out the front and uh, exercising the sacraments and doing all sorts of different things, representing God in the context and they go home at night but when they take off their collar, they are still a priest. Not the priest, a priest. 
And that was a blessing to me to hear that. In other words, he doesn't think he's any different from me. He knows he's not. A priest trains for their role. Now, my friend had to pray, uh, train through the Ridley system in Victoria. Uh, there's various ways. I mentioned earlier I did seven years, four, four years full-time and three years part-time. Uh, that was the formal part of training. And I was training this week. I was training the week before and I'll be training next week because we're all training in the priesthood. There's various levels of the training that are available and some people will jump into a certain level and others will jump into another level. I, I jumped into a fairly high level of training and, and that was cool. That, that was my calling on my life. Um, I think the story is what's your calling and what level of training? If you're not yet in a life group, jump into a life group. That's a great place to get training, just to do life with others. Open the Bible up and, and share together about who Jesus is, what is our calling collectively as part of the church. Like the stuff you do privately, your devotions, the reading of the scripture. If you go to school and the scriptures opened at school, what a blessing that is. But whatever your training is, all priests train for their role. What's their role? Serve Jesus. Share the message. Just like a palace guard trains to protect those in the palace, you need to take your discipleship and mission training very seriously because we don't just wake up in the morning and, wow, we're a priest serving as we should be. You're a priest, but you will serve according to the training that you receive. That's logical, yeah? Your serving will reflect the training that you're getting for your role. So train well. And there's some sacrifice involved. Paul urges us in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, to present ourselves a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing to God, which is your true spiritual service of worship. So it kind of means that we place some things as less important so we've got time to serve the king appropriately. True? We prioritise. Jesus wants people who won't just give him a part of their lives, but their whole life. We are called out to live differently. Called out and into the kingdom of God, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, to serve a special purpose. And I feel like this summarises a whole bunch of what we're saying. A priest knows and lives out the word of God. So the father sent the son. The son sent the spirit. The spirit gives us the word and he sends us out with the word. True? A priest knows and lives out the word of God. We are told that knowledge of God should be on our lips. In uh, Malachi chapter 2 and verses 1 through 9, up there, I'm not going to read it in the interest of time, 
If you're taking notes, you can look it up. Malachi 2, 1 to 9. We're told there that knowledge of God should be on our lips. We are messengers of good news. Heard all about it last week. Andrew did a fantastic job, an amazing message. If you haven't seen it yet, jump online, look it up. It's inspirational. And here's what I'd say. Do you know God enough to be able to tell what you'd like to tell to another? Simple, right? Do you know God enough and do you know enough of the word to be able to share what you believe someone needs to know when you've got the opportunity to share Jesus with them? Do you have a confidence about what you believe because you've actually spent the time and invested in what you believe? Okay. So let me share what all of this has been about. So much of what I've shared, we can attribute really easily to Tara, Pastor Tara, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Pierre, Pastor Michael, even Pastor Gary. So much of what we've shared today can be attributed easily to what could be identified loosely as the priesthood, yeah? In some people's minds. You know, those set-apart people who do the ministry. But the truth is, every last bit of it, and the Bible is so very clear, is attributed directly and purposely to you, the believer. So just tell me it's false. Or believe it and live it. Amen. A royal priesthood. Oh my goodness. That we would have the opportunity even. Be given the privilege to serve the king. A royal priesthood. Think about that. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's super cool. It's the most amazing thing. And we haven't talked about grace today. But how much grace is in that? How much? Woo! Enough. Because God always gives enough. Supernatural grace that says, I love you so much that I gave my son on the cross, made him alive again so you could come alive and now... We are a royal priesthood together. Anything to celebrate there? I love it. Don't you love the Bible? All right, because the Bible just comes alive. Its truth will set you free all the time. And if I go back to my last point, just know it well enough so you can reflect what you believe your calling is in the priesthood of all believers. Can you stand for prayer? Father, we love you so much. We do, we stand together and we say, we really celebrate the fact that you first loved us and you've called us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So we stand before you as your priesthood 
your reflected ones who have the light of Christ in and through them to be able to share the light of Christ in this world. We love you, Lord. We, we, we could say that you're awesome and amazing, but the English language just fails. We, we just say you are God and there are no other gods but you. And we say that from the bottom of our heart. Lord, we want to pray for every person with sickness today. We know that there's a bunch of sickness in our city. It's across our nation. There's so much flu. There's COVID everywhere. We feel sick. Many of us, it's attacked our bodies and our minds. There's been so much headache involved in the sicknesses that are going around at the moment. But Lord, you can't. We, we can stand in faith and say, the evil one can have none of our heart. Can have uh, There's all sorts of sickness that flows because our bodies are weak and frail and we live in this world. But our spirit is strong because we know who owns our spirit. We have given you our lives and we aim to serve you well. So by the power of your spirit, working in our spirit, would you give us opportunity to serve you well this week? As we leave this building and, and we go out into the world, it's different, it's hard, has its complexities. We're all living there. We all know the story. But we want to love you in this building and out of this building so others will see the focus of our being to worship and to reflect the light and the love of Christ who died to change everyone's life.